Welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B, coming to you from outside in a beautiful park in Acton Town in London. And the reason we're doing it outside is that I've got a very, very interesting guest today. ATM is a street artist who goes around painting birds on buildings. And for those of you listening, I mean the feathered variety. And he's been doing this for five years. It is a form of activism to draw attention to the diminishing population and extinction of many of uh, the indigenous birds to Britain and we're going to hear all about why he does this I'm welcoming to the podcast ATM how are you sir I'm very well thank you so tell me why you started painting birds on buildings let's start there well um, I've always been interested in street art as a, a means of communication so uh, before I started painting the birds I was doing anti-war graffiti using house paint and text and also using stencils as kind of ways to subvert advertising in a way and draw attention to other subjects that weren't dealt with properly in the mainstream media. So, yeah. And also the idea of street art to bring art out of galleries so that it's part of the fabric of our environment. So, you know, the, so many people don't go to art galleries and art galleries can be extremely elitist. I always like the idea of painting outside historically there's like weather constraints about britain you know like yeah. you know like in italy and places in spain you know a lot of the art was outside the buildings yeah modern painting materials uh, they're last. really hard they're, they're really hard wearing so there's no reason why mm. there shouldn't be a lot more art on the outside of buildings in this country and the other the second point with the birds is that the environmental crisis now is getting so extreme you know i've always cared i've always loved nature and cared about nature and it's getting so extreme now that i just thought I just um, have to do something, try and do something about it to make people think about it. One of the things that I like about the art is first is the difference between graffiti and bona fide, really stylish street art. Your bird pictures, and again, anyone who's listening now could do worse than actually clicking on and having a look at some of the artworks because they really are beautiful. This idea that graffiti spoils the view and ruins buildings and all this kind of stuff, and in your case, it absolutely doesn't. It, in fact, in my view, it enhances them. Where, where do you stand on that whole graffiti thing? When I started on this estate, it was the South Acton estate, a huge, sprawling, pretty grim, you know, aesthetically grim-looking, no nice colours anywhere. And I've, I've always thought, why do we like greys and browns so much in this country you know it costs the same yeah, amount for yeah. lime green or orange paint as it yeah. does for boring these boring flat colors so i started just painting the wall a, f a flat color just to give it some color yeah and then paint the subject on that everybody appreciated it when i was when i first started painting on this estate they, they thought wow you know it's something nice to look at it kind of improves well it just improves the area yeah. and one f one somali fellow said to me because I painted a snipe there and it was a really nice comment and he said uh, oh my son will, will never get into trouble when if he's standing by a painting of a giant snipe and it's like how it, interesting it, well it just supports that view that to a large extent our environment does affect our behavior and if you live in a brutalized grim environment yeah it's, it's more likely to um, produce antisocial behavior yeah it gives people pride yeah. in their community and yeah. pride in and the if, area they live in uh, what's wrong with you know why not more bright colors so yeah it's twofold it's talking about the subject that that painting and the barn owl and the gray partridge that are painted on the same mm. block was um on bollow bridge road and the river bollow used to flow here and you know there, were, there would have been like 
would have been marshy meadows when this was um, farming, like, you know, farmland on the edge of London, basically, yeah. little small villages. And so I wanted to draw attention to the fact that we're losing all that and, it, and that process is continuing on a drastic scale to the extent that some of these once common birds could well become extinct in this country. So, I mean, one of the ones I read up about was the passenger pigeon uh, fiasco, which was at late 1800s, early 1900s, yeah. New York, America, where yeah. they went from being the most common bird in America yeah. to extinct, I think, in a period of maybe 20, 25 years, or maybe less, I don't know. How, ex- well, how, how, da- how endangered are the bird life, is the bird life in, in, in Britain at the moment? Well, it's serious. I mean, I just heard, read something that on the Isle of Shetland, the seabird colonies have totally crashed this year. I think it was last year or recently. There were 18,000 pairs of Arctic terns, and this year there are 100. And they're not just terns, puffins and everything. The, the food's gone. Overfished? Yeah, overfished. And uh, maybe it's got something to do with climate change as well, which, you know, a lot of the fish can't live in uh, warmer waters, so mm. they move. A lot of things are moving north. Insect species that yeah. used to until recently only found on the continent they're now being found in southern England right so, yeah but, mosquitoes and stuff are starting to become more yeah, prevalent yeah dra- different species of dragonflies yeah. bees all, all sorts of things are moving. but there's a limit to how far you can go you know that's the trouble and we don't hear about it it's like almost as if oh no. well you know it's just a bird you know what, what? well exactly that's a tragedy and there's a lot of mainstream media does talk in those terms you know like yeah. people like Jeremy Clarkson you know say yeah. so what These Jeremy things Clarkson goes, yeah. yeah you know he's got, he's got this column in the tit. sun that, he's a tit he is <laughs> no he's the, he's the biggest kind of imbecile yeah. in Britain mm. but He's got a voice, and yeah. people people want to be his mate. They think they think he's yeah. great. You know, in one of his pieces, he actually said, "Who, in so many words, who gives a fuck if um, orangutans become extinct for palm oil plantations? Because yeah. you know, food for my daughter is more important than an orangutan." You know, yeah, he had yeah, yeah. actually said that in so, in so many yeah. words, and it's I thought, surprising. how stupid, you know? Because yeah. he's he's looking at it from the point of view: it's either human survival yeah. food supplies or animal survival right. whereas i'm looking at it from the point of view that this mass extinction and mm. destruction of habitats is ultimately going to affect human survival so it's like a warning sign yeah. and, the, and the fact you know that lots of people are saying there's there's hardly any swallows and swifts this year where are they all gone there's no yeah. insects you know yeah. it's catastrophic and, and the bee situation is yeah. also still dangerous right i mean the bee colonies are collapsing everywhere as well yeah there's that i mean there's there's multiple disasters going Mm. on yeah to see it as oh we could make the choice between human survival so that human expansion and populations and consumption basically of environments can just carry on indefinitely without hitting an absolute disaster point We're, we're living our lives and it's possible to live your life without giving it a second thought because it seems on the you know it's not my problem well it just seems like it's not a problem the way human beings are we're we're very good at responding to immediate threats yeah that we can see or smell or feel yeah but these kind of abstract threats where people are saying this is going to happen unless we change well we're not good at processing that and so we're, it's very easy just to live you know for all of us just to live our daily lives you know with our daily problems and things to concerns and all the yeah. rest of it and not to consider that but if we all woke up in the morning tomorrow and every single bird was gone, we'd freak out. But the, it's a bit like the melting ice. If it's a slow 
yeah. a slow progress over a decade and exactly. we just don't notice it and yeah yeah there's just some people making a big fuss over nothing you know and that's, kind yeah, of, that's and we do that about everything it's called the, like we're technology you know we're going to be run by robot overlords probably before we know it but like no yeah. it's a creeping thing yeah George Monbiot came up with this phrase for that like shifting baseline syndrome yeah. that each generation considers what is normal in terms of numbers of birds or whatever mm. uh, whereas you know uh, a few generations ago what was not you know I remember talking to um, an ex-girlfriend's grandfather and he was talking about butterflies in the 1930s in this country and like in in fields there'd be clouds I remember them. growing up there'd be you know they'd be everywhere yeah. you chase them and catch them and yeah. nets and stuff yeah there were literally thousands yeah. of them and now you see an individual if you're lucky you see yeah. one at a time every summer yeah, yeah. red admirals and yeah, all those the odd yeah, one yeah, yeah. yeah so children born now to them that's normal seeing an occasional yeah. butterfly and if, if they don't see any butterfly then then they don't miss it because yeah. they don't know it ever existed but what what um, what is killing the birds it's like industrialization of farming basically in the countryside pesticides herbicides you know i just went on a train trip to lower stuff on the suffolk coast to see a nature reserve like it's carlton marshes nature reserve the suffolk wildlife trust have just got funding to buy quite a lot more land in that area to join up these little reserves so they, yeah. that they're going to get about it's going to be about a thousand acres altogether and it was just so beautiful you know there was cattle grazing in there it was just so beautiful to see it was kind of teeming with life bird life and insects and uh, it was just a beautiful environment but on the train getting there it's like this green wasteland of, yeah you know they've got rid of all the hedges there's no field margins anymore mm. vast uh, like prairie style fields with one species just the food and so everything else is eliminated yeah. with insecticides pesticides and uh, fertilizers which are bad for the wildflowers and so we We've just lost, so it was beautiful to go to that place, but incredibly sad to see yeah. what's being destroyed. Like, since the Second World War, 97% of our wildflowers have gone, you know, in this country. Really? So, along with that um, goes all the insects and the birds, and um, and, it, and it's accelerating now. You know, yeah. we're now with the, all the building programs, you know, in London, these big new estates, and, you know, paying, usually paying lip service to anything natural. It's just about making money. Well, I'm, con I'm conscious as well, only because of what I'm talking about to you, that we've chosen to sit in the park, which is, I don't know, it's a four or five acre park, and it's surrounded by trees, and it's just 1.30 in the afternoon, and I can't hear many birds. No. And I would expect to hear lots of, I can see one just flying over, but all I can hear in the headphones is the background noise of building and yeah. And, and commerce and development but I really we're, we're actually in a park and I can't hear any birds tweeting well exactly I mean this place should be full of sparrows for example yeah but there aren't any sparrows yeah. and so it's not it's not just industrial farming in the countryside that's that's the problem in the countryside yeah. but in the cities hedgehogs are disappearing catastrophically you know yeah. they could become extinct yeah and they eat you know slugs and snails and worms and, stuff, worms yeah. and that and, uh, and so the removal of front gardens to pay, you know, paving them mm -hmm. for parking spaces. Mm -hmm. So it's cars. It's also overusing um, pesticides in gardens. You know, aphid sprays and yeah. slug pellets. All these things, you know, which are, which kill food for the, a bigger yeah, yeah food for the birds, food yeah. for food for everything. So it's it's a knock-on effect of mul multiple causes. What's the positive, optimistic 
outlook on trying to tackle this. Like I read somewhere like in America, they're putting gardens on roofs again, which seems like a no brainer. Why didn't anyone think of it before mm. where you can actually create, uh, you know, I'm not sure that's it's probably like putting a bandaid on an open wound, but at least there's some well, yeah. greenery and stuff like that. It does often feel like kind of desperate attempts to, to minimize the damage, but th there are positive things. I, w I just did a painting of a sparrowhawk. It was a Friends of the Earth, well, it is a Friends of the Earth project to re-green one street by getting all the community involved. They were putting planters on window ledges, installing nest boxes, you know, planting uh, little trees and wildflowers around existing trees and things like yeah. that, just to re-green the street. And it's it's really positive. And it's the idea they they did a crowdfunder to fund um, a community gardener to actually mm. look after the stuff and make sure it flourishes. And um, so and that's that the idea is that a template that can be done in any town or city. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, so there are serious efforts being made to reverse, but it's all about trying to reverse the, tr the major trends, yeah. which are all about getting rid of. Firms. Yeah, but I can even hear the guy, like, you can imagine in the planning department of some government big block building with no windows, and there's one guy who's trying to peep up, you know, perk up and say, what about the hedgehogs? And everyone would just look at him going, what are you talking about? You know, exactly. it's not cool. It's, it's not progress it's not development it's not all the things that they're doing it's not concrete it's sad were you always interested in birds how did you get interested in wildlife and you're from the north of england right yeah from the northwest near manchester i grew up well in a town called rochdale it's part of the greater manchester conurbation yeah. but the interesting thing about that part of the world is it's where the industrial revolution basically yeah. started the landscape like the topography means that where i grew up there's like Within walking distance, there's quite there's steep river valleys, and you know, with old remains of mills and right. old brick chimneys and stuff. Yeah. You know, at the bottom because they used water power mm -hmm. to power water wheels, but that's never been built on because it's so steep. So you've got all the housing estates on the on the flat land at the top. Where, when I go back there now, you know, a lot of these um, river valleys they, they've not changed since I was a kid. Whereas the, the flatlands have completely changed, you know, the open fields and all the ponds and the little streams. Of, so you grew up, were you a working class family background or? Yeah, kind of, yeah, more lower, lower middle class, yeah. But you were able to run around and you experience habitats and experience environments and streams and yeah. wildlife from a, from an early age, which, you know, we made the point earlier, just doesn't happen today for kids either, right? Well, that, that's good about the north of England. There's that mix, you know, there's a mix of real dense building, but then there's there's open fields. I mean, there was there was horses being grazed, you know, yeah. not, you know, from near where I went to school and, yeah. you know, I went to a few different schools, but they were all kind of, um, it's, uh, the south of England is much denser that somehow they kind of, it's, it doesn't give that opportunity for the two things to coexist. But, that being said, I mean, when I was growing up in the, in the north, you know, there were kestrels everywhere. I remember lapwings everywhere and, and all these things now, you know, the biggest shock, you know, is in my lifetime, they've become rare. They're often only now found on nature reserves. Did you, so were you a bird watcher? An or ornithologist just, I, or whatever the word is? Yeah, I just love birds. I, I just, I don't know, I, I always love birds. I don't know. Would you go out like spotting them though? Yeah, but I was I was going out to the places as well because the places where the bird lives are the yeah. interesting places to explore. You yeah, know, the yeah. woods and the rivers yeah. and the, the moorlands. So it's not just the birds; it's the atmosphere. It's a gorgeous environment, all the reeds and all the trees and the, you know wildflowers and everything. So it's a nice place to be. Yeah, and, it, and that's where the where lots of different birds live. So the two go together really. Well, we're si we're similar vintage, but even I can remember like running around and not being 
people didn't worry about kids being out poking dead foxes and sticks with the you know <laughs> you've come yeah, across yeah, yeah. Um, and so what about school college were you always interested in art or were you, how, how were you at school did you enjoy your, your 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 schooling life and whatnot I know you have a good story about university and how you got pissed off at one university and I can't say I enjoyed school I mean I had some good mates at school and we had a laugh but uh, the actual being in school I mean my strongest memory of school is literally looking at the clock and staring out the right, window yeah. just desperate to get out of there yeah. I was lucky that I had um, an art teacher who was really sympathetic to me. He introduced me to the drawings of Leonardo da Vinci and Albrecht Dürer, you know, he was saying, copy copy these, you know, um, Mm. try and draw like that. And so that was so good because Mm. modern art teaching kind of abhors copying, you know, as a way to learn, but it's the traditional way that artists always learn. So that was all right. And, uh, so you were always channeling yourself then towards going to art school? Yeah, I mean, my parents didn't want me to go to art school. What do they want you to do? They want me to get a, a kind of proper job. Yeah, you work know. in a bank or something. Well, <laughs> they said, oh, use your artistic ability to become an architect. You know, yeah. that would be a way yeah. to do it. Yeah. And uh, I've often been tempted to do other things throughout my life. I, I nearly became a musician, but um, it was always art was um, the, the strongest pull. And the same with ever you know throughout my life doing something else mm. uh, even though it would have made my life easier financially and all the mm. rest of it but I just couldn't you know when it came to the crunch I couldn't do it so well it's very rare that I come across people who've been so brave because it is a very brave thing to do because everyone will tell you it's hard to make a crust and you have to dedicate yourself to it in a way that you know there's no guarantee of, of success and parents roll their eyes when people say they want to be artists from a young age and it's a great achievement to stick with it because I'm sure all around you when you were a teenager early 20s you say oh what are you doing you're not going to get any money yeah. from that no I kind of I got mocked I mean the, the art school that you're talking about because I went I went to Rochdale Art College for I did a foundation year that was really there's some real maverick t- tutors yeah. there they were really open minded it was really great it was the best I didn't know it at the time but that was my best experience yeah. of art college and then I went to Cheltenham, you know, which um, where they had a they had a vision of what painting should be. It was like going back to school. The first year we had to do all these exercise painting exercise, you know. Yeah. And I thought I was going to art college to kind of explore my own ideas yeah, and get support. And it seemed like they just want, you know, they called me naive because I liked Renaissance painting. Yeah, they had this vision and anyway, you know. So I had a I had a, a war with them, and I eventually got. Um, Did you walk out? No, I got evicted, yeah, I got chucked out. For being difficult? Well, technically, I got chucked out for um, non-attendance. The first instance was, before I started at college, I'd agreed to do an exhibition in Manchester. And I asked the college for permission for like two weeks to go set up this exhibition. They just said flatly, no, I couldn't do it. So then I had the choice of, um, well, they had this weird idea that art you 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 mustn't think you're in, not ready well you're not in you, sh- you weren't expected to think in terms of the real world for some bizarre reason you were thinking about art and uh, and you know like f- to function as an artist was not part of the curriculum you know after college anyway i went anyway and did it but that counted against me and then um i kind of i refused to do these painting exercises and i was painting at home and uh, right at the end of the year they'd made an appointment for it to bring in all my paintings to show to the head you know to show yeah. what I'd done but they, they just set me up because I, I physically carried all these paintings staggered up, up the road with all these paintings and the head wasn't there you know there's was nobody there 
at the end of the year. And so there was no, nobody ever saw the work, the paintings that I'd done. One of the tutors who I, I was at most at odds with actually said to me, you know, he called me a fool and he said, you can count on the fingers of one hand the number of artists who make a living out of their art in this country. You know, and I was like um, 18. Yeah. And he said that to me. And uh, Thanks for the inspiration. It's total bullshit anyway. Yeah, 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 it is bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit, but it's, it's such a kind of underhand way to try and undermine yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly so, what teaching uh, shouldn't be. And then it was the summer holidays, and then I just got this letter saying um, I'd been evicted. So then you went to Sheffield, right? Yeah, and... Um, Things was, got better. Well, I had a, a mate at Rochdale who knew the head of painting at Sheffield, so he got, got me an interview, and it was, it, was, it was funny when I went... After I went for the interview, got accepted, the three staff who were interviewing me, they were looking at me really quizzically because they couldn't kind of make me out because apparently Cheltenham had written them a letter which was so damning of really? me that they tried to sabotage my future. Oh. I mean, they wouldn't tell me what, what had been said, but they kind of couldn't believe that I was kind of, kind of quite um, you know, reasonable person. That's awful, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't know, I don't know to this day. And, and, and so in Sheffield, it. you got back on track though, right? Yeah, I mean, they were pretty cool there. I mean, they basically let me do my own thing and left yeah. me to my own devices, yeah. which was good. So I spent a lot of time in the library and I was learning about ancient painting techniques. I was really interested in the whole Renaissance thing of how to construct a painting, you know, mm. layer by layer and glazes, and which caused me so much trouble at Cheltenham, you know, because they didn't like that at all. So I was allowed to kind of follow that. So talk to me about your activism then. How did you get involved in, in sort of the activist movement and what sort of stuff did you do there? just sheer frustration with the political status quo and uh, particularly remember uh, the invasion of Afghanistan and then the wars in Iraq and uh, I was just so horrified at the lies and the bullshit the, the, the blatant lies yeah. and the manipulation by politicians I mean it's going on now of course yeah. obviously you know with all this anti-Russia stuff you know yeah. it's so extremely you know transparently idiotic you yeah. know a lot of it so I just felt the need to say what, what I felt because it's like I can't stand hearing this, you know. Mm. And so, yeah, I was doing anti-war stuff. Yeah, we were do you together. And do you feel it works? Because, I mean, there's, you know, what? Like here's a little sideline. I mean, I spent my career dirtying myself in advertising, as we talked about earlier. But I looked at your work and I was going, were you ever tempted to put copy on them? I love the fact that there's no copy on them, but... No. The bar now, that in danger, you know, like you're actually allowing people to find out what it's about rather than... Yeah, that's very interesting because a lot of conservationists and other people I've spoken to have asked me that question, say, oh, why is there no information, you know, why uh, people are more likely to do something if they know what it is. But other people have said the opposite, they said, no, the, the power of it is in the fact that it's just the image. I agree with and that. As soon as yeah, yeah, I, I do agree I, with that. Yeah, and if as soon as you start, start putting text on things, it, yeah. it becomes uh, it, it kind of diminishes it. It becomes a kind of a, another kind of advertising. Exactly. Or, or, um, but I mean, you, what would be nice if anyone from the council? I mean, maybe you would disagree with this, but if there was an, a plinth nearby that spoke about the barnell and its habitat and why it's being damaged, or somewhere within spitting distance of your artwork, that might give some sort of level of community, but not on the thing. Would that? Do you feel still that? Yeah. I mean, that has been done a few times. Okay. Because I've done thing, something with the RSPB and they did that, describing, I did a stone curlew. And do you feel that breaks your 
purity or you're cool with that? No, no, I'm cool no. with that. Yeah. And uh, the one that I just showed you, the Kestrel yeah, um, and the Wildflower Meadow up on the emergency housing, the, mm. the containers. We're going to put um, a sign there explaining what it is and why Good. why yeah. we've done the subject. Yeah. yeah. The other thing about your work is it's extremely detailed. It takes about two or three days for you to actually put a piece up. I'm assuming the cops, do, you don't have to evade the cops. <laughs> do they let you away with stuff or because it's so beautiful? Or how do, you, how do you work around the graffiti laws such as they are? Well, I mean, the walls that I'm doing these big bird paintings on. Uh, yeah, well, oh, I've got permission. Uh, the, sometimes I'm getting paid, sometimes not. But I've got permission, you know. I've been uh, three days in the daylight painting, you know. It's, it would be hard to get away with it otherwise. Yeah, yeah. But, but the other stuff, I, I did it in the middle of the night, you know, so... So you have so online people can purchase your art that's on canvas that and is that the same style of work that you do do you do mainly wildlife pieces like that that are in yeah, smaller versions Yeah I do I do get commissions for small canvases and uh, yeah I've got a shop on um, Big Cartel ATM Street Art so uh, um, Where do you stand on Banksy are you a fan or Oh yeah I was always a fan, always right. yeah from the early days I was always a fan of Banksy I just think yeah he's I just like his wit, and he's a, yeah, he's very he's very clever, and he and he dealt with a lot of um, important subjects in a in a good way. So yeah. I think he's I think he's really good. But I mean, and I remember I went to his first ever exhibition in a gallery, you know, and someone had sprayed um, "sell out" on the on the window. I remember, and, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, probably so, him. <laughs> yeah, maybe, and That's the sort of thing he do. Yeah, so I mean, there are obviously, you know, like there's there's whole degrees of. Puritanism within the street yes. art and graffiti world, you know, like to proper graffiti artists who paint in subway trains in the middle of the night, yeah. you know, street art is absolutely pathetic nonsense, you know, yeah. with permission and all that. But I think it's got a role to play. Like it's more, it's public art really more than. Well, I, I what know. I like about what we before we we, we we turned on here, you were talking about how your stuff does get tagged occasionally, but they tend to respect the core image of the bird, which is nice. Yes, I mean, there's that idea that you know, youth who. Um, tag or graffiti it's like kind of this mind is the idea that it's mindless vandalism but mm. you know it's not because they will tag horrible boring empty spaces yeah to say something or put them put their mark on there and where you know uh, they tend to they respect um, other people's work so well i mean i i had a big discussion with dot master who was a guest on the show about this very issue and you know i i actually reference rome as the place where i just noticed where you're you've got buildings that are thousands of years old and there's just these inane, badly done tags on them. And of course, he's totally defensive. Oh, no, it's all good. And I'm like kind of going, if I wrote a book that was absolutely shit and I forced it down people's throat, you, of course, you have to draw the line between when does it stop being shit, right? Yeah. But, you know, he's, he, he, he's a real believer that everyone should be allowed to do anything on anything. And the more profane and the more, the more kind of adulterated you make it, the better good on you and all this kind of stuff, which is, I get, I get that, but... Um, what's, do you have a view on that? I tend to think, I, I've not seen the stuff in Rome particularly, so I don't know that. Yeah. But, you know, in this country there's just not enough as far as I'm concerned. Okay. You know, there's just such a, such a wealth of yeah. horrible, boring building. Which yeah, could, fair which enough. Which could do with anything, right. a bit, any bit of colour or something to break it up. So, yeah, um, I tend to agree, agree with Dotmaster really that um, any, anything's better than nothing. Any moving away from art and graffiti and street and public art? What's your view on on? Because I, I can hear, I can feel that you're a guy who thinks deeply about what's going on in the world. We've talked about the environment, and I read somewhere that you 
you believe that we're possibly in the middle of another great extinction, which we've had three or four already in the history of the planet by all accounts. What's your view on where the world is going at the moment? Are you pessimistic or optimistic? I kind of vary, you know, at the moment I'm deeply pessimistic. I've just, um, I just been aware of too many horrible facts about how how fast things are disappearing. You know, I just went to a talk about Madagascar, for example, where the human population has risen by 50% in 15 years. Wow. So it's gone from 18 million to it's now 27 million. It's a terribly poor nation. It's subsistence farming and um, mostly rice, but they use sla- like slash and burn. It's got so many original animals. Yeah, so that, I mean, they chop down the forest, they burn it, so it's fertile for three years to grow the rice, and then they move on. There's a there's a small percentage of the original forest left. Mm. I mean, once that's gone, it's going to be like Easter Island, you know, where yeah. there's, there's nothing. There'll be nothing to sustain the population, yeah. and so it's that horrible situation. Like, I know organisations are, are, are working to try and um, use more kind of permaculture um, techniques and stuff like that, but. And that's just one. That's one example, though, of, of of things changing so fast. And of course, every individual, you know, they have to feed themselves. They have to feed the family. And you know, the near the only fire, firewood is a tree, so you chop it down to feed your yeah. family. But once it's gone, then it, so it's a micro example of what's happening. You know. Or, yeah, the same or, thing's happening in this country, but yeah. with a, it's less obviously dramatic. Yeah, yeah. But the the natural structure of the country. Is, is just being destroyed to fulfill human needs and mm. uh, it's going to end in a disaster for human beings yeah. as well but but no politicians don't want to talk about it they really yeah. don't they want to talk about the immediate pressing needs of the economy and people's wages mm. and all, which which is totally understandable but the background destruction uh, nobody, nobody's really trying to find a solution to it mm. Mm. and uh, so yeah I'm, I am I do feel pessimistic. And it's, it is it is very much lone voices. I was talking about hedgehog guy earlier, blowing, you know, shouting into the wind, and and, and people are just not really that interested. What would you say to your uh, younger self if you had a chance to go back to when you were in school, whispering in his ear? Would you give any different advice now, for looking back from here? Well, that's interesting. I've not thought of that before. That's interesting. But now, to be honest, I wouldn't actually, because um, I have through all the. Um, like all the difficulties I've, I have stuck to what I wanted to do you know often, yeah. so, often to my own detriment you know living yeah. in horrendous housing and stuff yeah, yeah. but I have stayed with what I wanted to do and like you said earlier you know it's an artistic career is completely unpredictable there's no way of knowing how it's going to turn out so it was like it's like a leap of faith you know you do it because you want to do it but looking back I wouldn't have done things differently okay that's great to hear and lastly what would you say to a person who's 18 now and thinking of going into art school well you know considering you have to borrow don't go to Cheltenham (laughs) (laughs) don't know maybe it's brilliant maybe it's better now I'm joking sorry Cheltenham if you're listening Um, I I don't think it's worth getting hugely in debt to go to art college now because from what I've heard as well it's atrocious you know you don't even have a permanent studio space Mm -hmm. you've got a a little might have a little desk that you have to share with other people so you know the advantage of being in art college used to be you had a space yeah. uh, so they don't even get that now and from also I don't know how true these things are but you know they might we used to get tutorials as well and you know interest we had some interesting lectures but 
you know, they, I think students sometimes hardly ever see their tutors or might, yeah. might just uh, communicate with email. So the universe system has become a business. They get away with the minimum for maximum profit, yeah. basically. If, I agree with if, you. I think you. I think you waste years in college. Yeah, you know, I mean, filmmaking, yeah. anything that's creative. Yeah, anything creative. Go and creative. fucking do it because you can find out the internet yeah. shows you everything you want to know. Exactly. And you and, can um, learn more from them from the internet than you can yeah, from the teacher. And, and the, um, yeah, I mean, if you're doing something academic where you need abs- qualifications, you know, like, you know, so the sciences or mathematics or something like, that, you know, pro- probably it's, it's worth going to university if you've yeah. got, you know, good tutors. It's worth it's worth it because um, there are ways to learn. You know, much harder to learn by yourself. Uh, it depends also what kind of art you want to do, because you know the tradition of teaching art from draw, drawing, life drawing, or whatever, or drawing the visible world, or drawing from the old masters and all that. Which, when I was at college, completely gone. It was ludicrous. When we we're eighteen or nineteen, we were told to we had to be original. You know, mm. come up with new styles. Well, you have to know what you're not doing, right? Yeah, and you have to know the basics of what. Things like, you know, Churrasco, whatever the word is, you know, like look the light and shade and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, you have to, I mean, if it depends what, if you want to do um, representational painting, figurative art or whatever, it's a good idea that you learn those things. But mm. the other problem with art colleges is the tutors mostly are not equipped to teach those things because they don't know how to do it themselves. So you know, when I was at college, I, I learned how to draw, not, not from the tutors, but from copying, you know, great artists from the past who could mm. really draw. That's the way to learn. You don't need to go to art college, but I agree with what you said earlier that if you're doing something creative, the main thing you want to do is you need experience in that field. So you get know, cracking. If you want to be a street artist, try and connect. There's with, the street. Here's the There's the thing. street, so you can start <laughs> doing it, and you can uh, you know just make contact with other artists. You know, I've, all the street artists I know. If a young person came up to them and said, "Oh, can we?" Learn from you. you or learn like, from yeah, you, or you know, be you know, like be an apprentice or, yeah. or help out. Or, you know, most of them will say yes. You know, yeah. and you know, and and I would. You know, yeah. and I, you know, I do. I kind of offer help, whatever help. So, and then you learn by doing it, and uh, and and then then you you probably make better connections that way than you do if you're in a college. So I, I think, and and you know, you don't want to be in debt all your life. So I think if you're if you're really if you want to be an artist kind of know what you want to do just do it and try and make contact with people who are doing similar stuff and can give you a help excellent the artist is atm the website is attached to the blurb of the podcast i normally close my show by the way with uh, the stop the pigeon theme tune music and i have an idea here that we're just going to say nothing for the next 60 seconds to play out listening to the ambient sound of a park in the center of london where i'm astounded in the afternoon at the Lack of Birds. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thanks very much. still listening, maybe someday the birds will be back.